1: From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Steph Machado, in for Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast, where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. In just two weeks, the Rhode Island General Assembly will be back in session. What can we expect from lawmakers in 2024? To get a preview, I sat down with House Speaker Joe Shikarchi. We'll talk about his priorities after a quick break. House Speaker Joe Shikarchi, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Steph. Always enjoy sitting down with you. So we continue to have a significant housing crisis here in Rhode Island. There's not enough units. Uh, Rents are going up. According to the most recent Zillow report, um, it costs more than $2,000 to rent an apartment in Providence. What is your plan to address housing in the upcoming session?
2: Well, it has been a front and center issue since I became speaker. It's going to continue to focus on our efforts to do that. We had a very productive year last year on housing. We're going to continue that. We've also, you know, made a significant investment out of the budget and opera money. We're going to continue to do that as well. And we're going to continue to educate a lot of cities and towns who are very fearful of any kind of change in housing regulations or law because they don't understand it and they fear it, and there's a lot of misinformation. So we're gonna continue on those efforts to tackle this issue. It's not going away. We are last in the country, last in the country, Steph, Regarding building permits and new housing production. We need more housing. That's the only way you're gonna address this issue is to create more supply.
1: It seems like local zoning is one of the biggest barriers to more production. Does the state need to take a heavier hand here? Uh, It may have to. Uh, Not right now. We're going to continue to to hopefully work with the League of Cities and Towns.
2: They have so far proven to be a good partner. We're going to continue to do so. But we're not afraid to take more drastic measures and more drastic action if needed. But we're not there yet.
1: I know you say we're not
2: there yet, but what would drastic measures look like? All right. Zoning comes from the state. Cities and towns have no constitutional right to zoning. It's given to them by the state of Rhode Island. So we can look at that and modify that. We can pass more stringent laws. We can do a lot of different things. General Assembly has, uh, under our state constitution, a lot of authority to do that. But that would be done in a very public process, working with our partners in the Senate and the governor's office as well. This is a problem that touches everybody in every community. Every community needs to step up and do their part. Do you have any specific legislation you plan to introduce? Uh, No, we're going to continue to push ADUs, that's accessory dwelling units, granny flat. It's a very significant piece of legislation. The House passed it last year. We're going to pass it again early this year. I look forward to uh, getting it over to the Senate and working with our partners in the Senate to get that over the goal line this year. That has proven to be a significant tool that is being used around the country in other communities, and cities and towns and states, it has, it has that success. And what that is, Steph, so people understand, what's an ADU, they understand, it's basically an in-law apartment. It's something that exists right now. We have a lot of multifamily dwellings in Providence. This just makes what we already do in Rhode Island easier to get done this this it, people who are afraid, afraid of this who oppose this do not understand it i've heard the arguments that's going to create more airbnbs and that's not true because specifically written in the legislation is a prohibition of that so you cannot turn an adu into a, a airbnb so people who are opposing this haven't read the legislation don't want to read the legislation, don't understand, maybe don't want to understand it. What's stopping people from building these units now? Nothing is stopping them other than a lot of red tape and regulation and expense. A lawyer, a surveyor, an architect, an engineer, uh, a planning board hearing, a zoning board hearing, advertising the local newspaper, hiring a lawyer. Nothing is prohibiting them. It's just very expensive and cost prohibitive.
1: So you want to streamline the process of building a unit on your property that you can rent not short term, long term, to someone or have a family member live there. That's exactly right. You hit, you hit the nail right on the head. How much money are you willing to put in to the housing crisis? Because we know in Massachusetts, Governor Healey proposed a $4 billion housing package. Rhode Island Housing Secretary Stephen Pryor is proposing a $100 million bond in his budget proposal. Is that enough?
2: So we need to look at what we're doing, what are the outcomes, what's effective and what we can afford. But I think that uh, what's been proposed is generally in line with what we need at the moment for this year. You know, we're never going to be. Massachusetts. We don't have the population, the geographic area, and we don't have the money the state is. But we can look to them to see what's working there. They're our neighbor. We can look to Connecticut and what's working there to see what we can do. Massachusetts is actually following Rhode Island a lot of land use regulations these days.
1: Are we seeing any more production yet from the housing bills that passed this year, or is it too soon? No,
2: it's too soon. If you look at the bills, if you read them, uh, uh, the, the effective date was January 1st. We're not at January 1st. They haven't even been enacted yet. They haven't been gone live, so to speak. And a lot of that was to give cities and towns an opportunity to bring their local codes into conformance with that.
1: I want to ask you about rent control, which is always a thorny topic. We hear about dramatic rent increases, especially in the last couple of years. Frankly, I'll, I, have, I live in Providence. Friends will text me, just got my lease renewal. It's a 15% increase. Is this legal? Sure is. At what point should the state restrict how much rent can be increased year over year? Well, you're
2: asking the state to, you know, uh, basically regulate a private contract between a landlord and a tenant. We've made some changes around that. Uh, we've got rid of application fees and we looked at it. I will tell you that I've talked to Mayor Smiley about this in province, which has the most number of apartments. He's adamantly opposed. He said it doesn't work. If you look around other particular communities, it hasn't had a lot of success. While it sounds good and it feels good, it has sometimes the opposite effect of limiting the number of units. So actually, you have less units and you have more of a demand. So look, I'm, again, open to that idea, we'll listen to that. There was an issue that came up last year, we had some hearings on it, Uh, but the the way to solve that problem regarding rent control is to create more units. If you create more units, then you have competition and prices will come down. Prices for rent will come down and prices for uh, purchase will come down as well.
1: So you're not interested in regulating what the rents can be, but you believe building more units, they will naturally come down. Absolutely, that's the answer. And that's what people
2: understand. That's the answer to so many things. There's not one single city and town in Rhode Island that cannot use more housing. And quite frankly, there's not one city or town in Rhode Island, maybe Central Falls may argue a little bit, that doesn't have the capacity to add more units as well.
1: And what do you make of towns that are pushing back on your legislation, like Narragansett, passing an ordinance that could sort of get around legislation that's supposed to to help build new housing? It's sad
2: it's sad and it's wrong and they know it's wrong and they they're they're using excuses not real reasons of why they don't want it they say they've done a lot for affordable housing they're one of the worst in the state they're at three percent for affordable housing or hovering around three percent they're not really meeting their demands and you know their argument is well we have to house the uri students so you know that's what we do and they're afraid of airbnbs and i try to explain to them what the adu legislation says um, look, they're opening themselves up, in my humble opinion, to uh, legal action.
1: And what will you do if towns and cities continue to try and get around your, so, your housing laws? So we're still studying it.
2: Now, again, they're not enacted. It's, it's just the first passage. We're going to look at it. I can tell you that I've spoken to the governor and the Senate president. None of them are happy about this. You know, we're all working to try to solve a problem. And cities and towns have to step up and do their part as well.
1: I want to ask you about education. Back in September, we reported here on Rhode Island PBS Weekly about the crisis in the early intervention system for infants and toddlers with developmental delays. Hundreds of children are waiting months, sometimes even years or more than a year to get these critical services. And Rhode Island is currently not in compliance with federal law. I know child advocates have been lobbying you for more funding. What is your plan here? Well,
2: let's go back to say what we did with the opera money, but we made significant investments. The CARES Act money was a significant investment in opera money. We passed $22 million the first day of January, about two years ago as well. We commenced a rate study to see if we need to do that. Those results are in. They've given it to the governor. We're waiting for the governor's budget. Uh, we'll listen to what he has to say, we're going to have a public hearing in a process and we'll listen to all the advocates and we'll make adjustments as we can, as we need and as we can afford.
1: The advocates say that the rate increase proposed by EOHHS is good, but it's not enough. This is so, an imminent crisis. I mean, so, will you go farther than what the governor proposes? If, if the,
2: after we go through a public process and vetting, yes, that's our job as the General Assembly is to listen to this and listen to what the governor has to say. But I want to point out that money in and of itself isn't always the answer. So when we talk about raising rates, we're talking about increasing tax dollars. And I understand that education is critical. It's important. But we have to also be cognizant of what we can afford.
1: Public school enrollment continues to drop significantly. Significantly across the state, and that's a trend over the last many, many years. And this could be problematic because state aid is tied to enrollment among other factors in the formula. Are there any changes that you're looking at for school funding? So again, we listen to that every year that we have always made changes, little tweaks around the edges.
2: But I would point out that every single year that I've been speaking, and quite frankly, I think since I've been in the General Assembly, we have increased funding year over year overall. So we are increasing funding in less and less population, school-age population, that means the cost per pupil as far as state aid is going up significantly. And unfortunately, I don't see a lot of results. And quite frankly, you know, families need to step up, too. We have a chronic absentee problem. And You know what? If you're not in school, you're not learning. And if you're not learning, you're not going to pass. And that's what's the problem. So attendance has to be more heavily regulated. It has to improve significantly what, as
1: well. What might you do in the House on that? Topic.
2: I don't know. I don't have an answer to make you know parents parent their children better or more in school. I don't know the answer to that, but I know we have a lot of great educated le- legislators. Chairman Magnamara, Representative O'Brien, I can go on and on We have 10, 15 legislators who care very passionately about education. We'll listen to what they have to say. We'll listen to that. We'll work with our partners in the governor. We don't, the General Assembly, we fund, we appropriate money. We don't run departments. We don't hire people in the Department of Education. You know, we set policies, we set goals, and we fund them. The actual implementation is in the executive branch of government.
1: Providence schools are are not being run locally, as you know, being yes. run by the state right now. Should the takeover end?
2: No, I don't think that that's a decision a politician should make. That's a professional decision made by the people at uh, the Rhode Island Department of Education. And when they think it's ready, I will say this, let's let's back up so your listeners and viewers understand this. Why is the state running the system? Because it was really bad. Let, let's remember back to Governor Raimondo, there's a report that said that we have like a terrible school system. So the state had to step in and take it over i want to congratulate mayor smiley i think he's doing a good job he's preparing for that day he's working on that day that when the province will take it over and take it back over and understand that but i will point out whenever you have look around the country and there's been a state takeover of a local system in order for the changes that are being implemented to make that school system better or more competent it takes a period of time and we cannot be changing direction every year or every two years or sending it back early we need to get results. I will tell you, the latest test scores were an improvement. Now, it was a slight improvement, and we have a long way to go, but it was an improvement, and I'm grateful for that. Every step in the right direction means we're in the right course.
1: So you don't want to upturn the apple cart right now. And- I don't, I don't. Uh, again,
2: Steph, I keep an open mind. I don't see enough evidence to change the path we're
1: on at the moment. There's also this potential fiscal cliff in education coming next year, the American Rescue Plan Act. Money that went to schools has to be spent by September of 2024, so we're in the last school year of that money right now. School districts like Providence, hired social workers, behavioral specialists with this money. They extended the length of the school day and they're using the ARPA money for the payroll for that. Many of these initiatives could go away when this fiscal cliff hits. Is this something that the legislature is looking at?
2: We'll listen to what the school committees want and the, and the ride does, but we can't in the general assembly be all things to everybody. So we have to listen That that. Is a fiscal cliff coming for RIPTA? There's a lot of fiscal cliffs coming. Everyone should have been aware of that and they should plan accordingly.
1: I feel like a broken record asking you about the law enforcement officer's bill of rights every year this is something that seems to be a top priority at the start of the session for the past few years but then doesn't make it over the finish line because all of the sides can't agree is this a top priority this session yes it is and i expect the house will act on it
2: very soon because we've worked on it all summer long A lot of meetings, a lot of discussions, a lot of drafting. I want, first of all, I want to congratulate the Senate. Uh, They had a study commission. They worked very hard. They actually passed a LIBOR bill last year. It was a very good bill. Uh, It came over at the very, very last day of session. And in fairness to my members who wanted to, have hearings on it and wanted to vet it and understand it. I didn't feel it was prudent to bring it to the House floor the last hour. What'd you come up with? We came up with a bill that we're still working on that will be introduced in early January that I think that you'll have broad based support around. And I think that's very similar slightly different, but very similar to what the Senate has.
1: So does it increase the number of suspension days?
2: It's a work in progress, and I know I'm being taped, and I know this will be used against me at a later date. (laughs) So what I will tell you is it's something that takes everybody's uh, into consideration. And when we're ready to launch the bill, you'll be one of the first to know.
1: And I do want to ask you about gun control. Every year we see an assault weapons ban bill introduced. It has not gone anywhere. It's not supported by the Senate president. Is that a priority for you? Gun safety has been a priority, and we have passed a lot of legislation. Are you know, you're referring to the high-capacity magazine? Yes, and,
2: and I point out that that bill is still being litigated in the First Circuit. I'm sure the bill will be introduced again. I know the advocates are concerned. But when we were debating this issue two years ago, I was told by the Attorney General and in almost all the advocates, Speaker, please do the magazine, because if you do the magazine, you will have basically affect the uh, assault rifle. You will n- nullify that. So that's what we chose uh, of the bills to do at that particular time. And when you see these tragedies and school tragedies and what happened in Maine, but you gotta remember these people broke the law and, and also they had mental issues. Sadly, I'm not so sure that if just because you pass a law that you make it safer. I I understand it makes people feel good, but I wanna do things that are actually effective and work there, so we're gonna keep an open mind, but it's very high charged emotion just for every one representative who wants it. There's another representative in this chamber who doesn't want them.
1: House Speaker Joe Shikharji, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, thank you. You can watch a condensed version of my interview with the speaker on Rhode Island PBS Weekly at ripbs.org weekly. This episode, which aired Sunday night, also features a story from Pamela Watts on Christmas at the Botanical Center at Roger Williams Park, as well as a story from Michelle San Miguel on a neurological condition where people can see music, taste words, and smell colors. And while you're on the Rhode Island PBS Weekly site, please check out my report from last week on school resource officers in Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, with help from Carlos Munoz and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM please be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I'm Steph Machado. Ed will be back next week.
0: Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport. Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly and many more. Watch them all anytime and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org/passport. That's ripbs.org/passport.